Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Firm. I'm here with our host, Lance Psycho. I am just uh, present to see what you have to say. So, tell you what, project conditions are changing, Mr. Gore, and there's a limited time to get things done. There's never enough time in the day, is there? No. Absolutely not. Uh, So, it's good to have information at your fingertips. You know where I go for that? Arccat.com. You didn't even let me answer. I was going to say Arccat. I don't, I'm interrupting Lance. Uh, Arccat.com provides architects, engineers, spec writers, and contractors with the most comprehensive libraries of building product content and design so you can quickly access it and efficiently. Even better, Arccat is free and requires no registration. That's right, Al. They're not going to mine for your data. Mm. They're not a big tech giant person. Right. They're a website that supplies value. Thus, they're valuable. For free. For free. So visit today and access the information you need now. Arccat is a sponsor of this podcast, so it is. it means everything to us. If you go to their website, check it out. Go to arccat.com today, A-R-C-A-T.com, and start building better content. Hey, Lance, I want to raise... Huh, do you? Yeah. Why do you deserve a raise? Hey, that's a great question. Yeah. Maybe because I provide value to the firm. I didn't, that's questionable. We're going to have to run the numbers on that. Okay. Well, if you're ever in question about how you provide value, two ways that you can do it is learn new skills. One new skills is being better at Revit. Being better at Revit not only helps you be more productive, but yep. you can help your whole firm be more productive. I love that. Honestly, everybody's, everybody's got to love that. In, in a big way, not only learning how to, how to model correctly, learning how to mimic construction, but also having tools and templates that make you go faster. Um, you can get that at RevitRocketShip.com, where yours truly teaches you the skills of Revit you need to possibly get a raise. Because when you're going in for that interview, I know your boss is thinking about how helpful are you, how valuable are you, how productive are you, and that's one aspect. The other way you can do it is by growing business, and you can grow business by moving from just an architect to a builder. So if you want to do that, you can go to architectsguide2, that's just T-O.com, architectsguide2.com, where we show you our journey from being architects to builder and how you can add value and eliminate the negatives in that process. I love it. And you don't have to become a builder 100%. You could just be, you could just do one build a year. You could just build your house. You could just dip your little toes in that building world and then keep tiptoeing in or tiptoe out, try it. Yeah. Well, what could it hurt? Also, going back to adding value to just your regular profession, of if, if you're an architect or a designer, mm-hmm. one person's review was, oh, this course should be mandatory in school. So mm. you just know the building process. You know mm. what's happening. Mm. You, like mm. That helps you out, thus helps you be more valuable, thus gives you more ammunition for why you deserve that raise and why you're bringing value. I love that. I love that. This episode is also brought to you by Pella Luxury. The Pella brand, we love the Pella brand. 
Go today. I, I'm actually recording this. I'm recording the screen, the screen so I can insert that into our YouTube video here. If you're not watching on YouTube, you should be watching on YouTube because you'll be able to, be able to see my beautiful punum and Al's beautiful punum, plus all of the cool visuals we have. So PellaLuxury.com, I just typed it in, forward slash the firm. If you go take a look at that and then go to their enter, <clears throat> if they have uh, uh, several different menu, um, products that, that you can choose from, Benelli, Duratherm, Graybo Windows and Doors, Riley Architectural, and then what I want you to go to is, Alex apparently couldn't handle it. No, I'm, I'm coming over. <laughs> so, we're on, so we're on the same page. So uh, then from there, you can go to durathermwindow.com. And what I want to do is I want to walk through and just prove to everybody that Pella windows are not just about residential architecture. So what we're looking at right now is the Barnes Museum and Art and Education Center that opened in May 2012. And Where's that in? I think I'm driving that way this summer. Where's that in? It's in Philly. Oh, Philly? Just kidding. I'm not going that far. J- just kidding. Yep, yep. So uh, in looking at these images that I'm kind of panning through here, this is a, obviously a commercial building, and they've, but it's got a very warm, modern feel, and the windows really help out with that. And I can you believe that this was done with the Pella Luxury brand, most specifically Duratherm? Check them out. Um, you know, just scrolling through it, like this is this is everything I want in a warm style modern window. What do you think, Al? Well, it, it is cool too because it, it's modern yet it's warm. Yep. So it's it's literally the best of both worlds, and they, and they nailed it. Yep. Yep. So uh, check them out. Don't cut uh, Pella Luxury out of your repertoire, even if you are a co- commercial architect. And that's that's what I wanted to talk about today regarding Pella and, and thank them for being a sponsor of Inside the Firm. They help us come to you every single week. Uh, if you haven't checked out this week's episode of Monday Morning Coffee, we had uh, <clears throat> we had uh, a specialist um, from uh, from Pella on. Uh, so check check out that episode. Uh, you can't you can't miss it. It was it was one of the greatest conversations I've had so far on this show. That's awesome. Um, what did you say? You said check us out on YouTube because you can see our beautiful what? Visuals. Oh, visuals. Yeah. Okay. I thought. Yeah. 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 Yours, yours weren't working there. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Lance, what are some of the do's and don'ts for requests for proposals? Maybe don't do it. Oh. So the title of this. Interesting. The title of this. Uh, episode is called uh, so this is episode 213 how to avoid wasting your time on RFPs yeah and RFPs if you don't know what it is request for proposal right so uh, <clears throat> if everybody knows I think from last week's episode pretty sure it was 212 my little rant about um, the general contractor that interviewed me for a commercial job and it went horribly well since then, there's been a lot of unfolding, and I so basically the best way for me to describe what happened is to kind of read what I posted in the Entree Architect community. I also push, posted on my personal Facebook page and even on LinkedIn. So here's what it was: it was, I'll read it to you, Al. Yep. A question for the group: Say you were shortlisted to design, and by the way, I put design in in the question because that's how I made it an architecture post, but it really is about building, right? So you could do, say you were shortlisted to design, say you were shortlisted to build, okay. Say you were shortlisted to design a building and you were competing against two other architects. The other architects' hypothetical names were Johnson Architecture and Smith Architecture. Hmm. You submit your proposal and are asked to go into the ownership's office for a final round of interviews. You walk into the room and there are four men. One of the men's name is Blaine Johnson. (laughs) Awesome. Great names. 
Yep. Uh, after asking you for your elevator pitch for your company, he proceeds to grill you for the next 90 minutes with four pages of notes front and back. You answer the questions to the best of your ability. The meeting ends. The next week, ownership awards the project to Johnson Architecture. Yep. You find over the course of that week that Blaine Johnson was the former owner of Johnson Architecture. Huh, wait, wait, did the name give it away? In, <laughs> in your opinion, was this a setup? Was it a conflict of interest? Have you ever experienced a situation like this? And that was, so I posted that last Sunday. And it was one of the best discussions I've seen in the Entree Architect community. Uh, so I wanted to read you some of the best quotes yeah, from yeah. it now. This is on Facebook, Entree Architect community. Get in it. Check it out. Uh, I believe it's over there. 7,000 members now. <clears throat> Kudos to Mark. Okay, so one, one person said, Closest I've become was having members of a competitor's firm sit in on an interview that was open to the public. So it was a public RFP. All right. Their interview was scheduled the next day. Our team lead spotted them. And his, in his opening remarks, thanked the reviewers and acknowledged, quote, a few people in the audience, quote, that he recognized. The interview chairman asked them to leave. Oh. That, I felt like that was fair and smart. That's and fair, yep. Another person said, <clears throat> and, and a lot of these uh, comments that we got back for, that I got back in this post were people saying like, well, yeah, this this is what happens in the public sector. Because a lot of RFPs are for the public work, for public work. So, quote, uh, working in the public sector, we have found that most RFPs for public work is to satisfy the municipality's ordinance requirement for open bids. They got to do a minimum of three bids. They're just trying to satisfy it. Okay. Yeah. In most cases, they are or were negotiating or made the selection for the design professional earlier. No real crystal ball out there for you to peer into to see this coming. We have asked in the past for a list of stakeholders and responsible parties who will be making the selection along with a list of bidders. If this info is obtained, you can do a little web search to connect the dots. Definitely not a good situation. He was clearly indirectly working for an award to his old firm. Be sure, for sure there were concerns on Johnson's proposal that you clearly had an advantage over, but grilling you made it easy for him to look for loopholes in your proposal. Well, and then, hmm. so uh, are you just, how could you avoided that? I don't think you could have. Uh, so I could have. This is exactly the point of this segment. I could have asked for uh, a list of stakeholders and responsible parties who were making the decision along with a list of bidders. And I could have connected the dots. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's... Okay, for architecture. So I, I have a similar story. It was... A, um, I was bidding. It was a design project. Uh, I knew that there was three firms afterwards found out we didn't get it that's totally fine this is where i tried kind of an abnormal you know approach, approach which is was probably my only hope now that i think about it because uh the other two firms were in the town where it was going to get built and it's like it's at least a 45 minute drive into the mountains into the winter the that road can get shut down so it's like i i'm kind of oddball out there you're oddball out there yep um so my proposal was actually a little bit more radical, but if I would have gone more traditional, there probably would have been no reason to use me. At all. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. maybe you just save yourself some time. But but then do people ask, 
say, hey, who are the other architecture firms bidding? Is that a fair question? Yes. I think now it's a fair question. Yep. Um, and I'll tell you what. So and let's, let's but let, let's play that out. No, Mr. Gore, you can't know. I'm out. I'm out. Okay, uh, Mr. Gore, I'm asking you. Mr. <laughs> Uh, that's an unusual request. May I ask why you are asking for that information? Uh, because we went after other projects. We've been RFP'd for other projects in the past, and we've been able to identify conflict of conflicts of interest ahead of time by knowing everybody involved, uh, including stakeholders and bidders. And honestly, our time is precious. And this is in order for us to understand that you're respecting our time. Then this is the kind of information I need ahead of time for me uh, to understand if it's, even if, uh, if this is if I even want to spend any more further time on this on this proposal. Yep. yep. Um, yeah. And, and something like just things I would add. I, I like that. I like the last part that you put. But um, you know, for this to be a great relationship, um, for the essentially like for this to be a great relationship, both parties have to be in, invested in it. Um, and and one of the reasons why I want to know who the other bidders are is, is honestly because there are a bunch of other good architecture firms. And we found out in the past, if there's a good architecture firm that's in that area, that's within 10, 15 minutes of it, that we know we align up in, in bids, there, there's no reason for us to, to go through this process. Like there literally isn't like just think yeah, a exactly. studio, like let's say you were going against studio B in Aspen and they have an office in Aspen. It's like, why are you even asking? Why me? are you even asking me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so then again, you and you could also you know use the public work uh, analogy again, right? So you could say something to the tune of, and this is I'm going to lead this into another quote that we got back from um, somebody in the entree architect community. So you could say something to the tune of, uh, "I think it's a fair way. I think it's fair to compare a private RFP to a public RFP um, because because the processes are very similar." So quote for most public work. Uh, it requires a full disclosure of potential conflicts of interest by the proposing party. If the selection committee was for a public entity, Mr. Johnson would have to disclose the conflict and shouldn't be on the selection committee. I think this happens a lot more than we think. For public RFQs, I look at the timeline for preparation. If it's under three weeks, there's a strong possibility that someone has already been, quote, selected, and they are going through the motions to comply with the law. Or... To comply, if it's a private, uh, if it's a private nonprofit like we both just interacted with, they're probably going through the motions to comply with their bylaws or right because every or a committee member that or just co- said or committee or yeah, exactly you know yep and there's going to be one committee member and by all means go go after your three bids I, I get that um, so you know the the summation was and then there was some other good stuff i want to read to you so like if it, if quote somebody said if this is a public project he should have recused himself by not doing so they could be obligated to throw out the rfqs rfps rather um if it was a public project you could have thrown this out because there you would in hindsight even you could have said look look this is a conflict of interest we need yep. to redo this process over because i mean to, to be as clear as possible it's like if i left the firm and then was interviewing four firms and one of them was F9 for a project because I was on the committee. Like, how was that not going to be a conflict of interest? Exactly. (laughs) How was it not? Yeah. Uh, Somebody else said, sounds like they were always going to go with Johnson, but wanted to make the process look legit. 
The ethical thing would be for Blaine to either excuse himself, excuse himself from the entire selection process, or at least disclose his relationship. Um, uh, Jack Roseberry, one of my favorite. The only reason I'm naming Jack is I think because he's been on this podcast, and I think he's okay with that. Uh, they were using you as a price point. If you landed the job, this guy would have tortured you. I thought the exact same thing. I thought you if, went too if, fast there. <laughs> Say it again. The, the guy grilled you. Sorry. They were using you as a price point. If you had landed this job, this guy would have tortured you. Oh, yeah. That would have been super bad. Yeah. It would have been It would have been horrible. It would have been horrible. Um, so but my summation of this is I don't think it's worth it to go after RFPs in our world. Uh, the only ones I'm... I, because... Uh, uh, do your research ahead of, uh, ahead of going after one if you decide to do one. You're you're listening. We're, we made the mistake twice, so learn from our mistakes so you don't have to make those mistakes and waste your time. And the quickest way for you to run at and identify the problem is to do exactly what um, we started out with talking about in the in this segment, and that is ask who the stakeholders are, ask who the bidders are, ask about the selection committee, and do your research ahead of time and see if there's any funny business. Exactly. And I wouldn't say eliminate it because from the stats from last week, I think new, the amount of revenue from uh, new people through bidding is something like 20%, you know, can be 20% of your, of, of your business. It's just be more efficient with it. You know, especially if, for example, here would be the big red flag. It's in a town two hours away. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a bunch of capable architects in that town and someone on the committee has ties to one of the firms there. It's like there's two or three strikes right there. Just go after something else. Yeah, go yeah. after something else. Indeed. I don't think it makes any sense. And if you do, so I know Al just said, maybe don't count it out entirely. Uh, but if you do, let's say you do, I think the best piece of advice, and this is the last one, was... Somebody said the best business choice I ever made was going ever made was to stop getting shortlisted and start shortlisting my prospects instead. My hit rate was about one in ten at the time, respectable in those marketing conditions, but ultimately demoralizing and expensive. For everyone who's sick of the RFP slash dog and pony slash proposal routine and ready to quit, check out the win without pitching manifesto. The well-voiced audio version is less than $5 if you buy it on Audible. I've listened to it. It's great. Or free in a one-month trial. There you go. So that was some uh, that was some good advice. You might want to take it. And with that, um, last week I got a crazy text. And I won't pull it up because it's uh, a private text, but I will describe it to you. Mm. Um, and it was from our very good friend and longtime colleague, uh, Robert Wygant. So... Bob, um, we, we, F9, I don't think would be here without Bob because we did, um, a lot of the bread and butter work we got at the beginning of starting this firm in the great recession was building information modeling. That's kind of how our relationship started with our cat too, because Bob and us and our cat were kind of all a team doing a lot of the, uh, Revit content on their website and everything. Well, Bob has since switched from being one of the leaders in the world He's published, he's written several books about uh, Revit, building information modeling, built probably more families than anybody on the planet. He 
switched and pivoted and started a. Uh, it's called Holy Rollers, and what it what it is is a bagel shop. And he was off to this great start. Then I got this text message, and he said, "I'm I'm lucky to be alive." Uh, so basically, he the wind caught his the door to his new shop, slammed his hand into into the door. The pain was so extreme, he passed out, and then basically collapsed on the floor, busted up his whole face, knocked out all of his teeth. It's completely nuts. And so uh, we don't usually pitch any charity stuff here, but I would really appreciate it if everybody could go to, um, if they could just go to the Help Bob Wygant Fund. So it's Help Bob, and his last name is Wygant, W-E-Y-G-A-N. T fund on GoFundMe, and I've got it. I've got it pulled up here. <clears throat> if you're watching on YouTube, there's a ten thousand dollar goal. Uh, Fifty-seven forty-five has been raised so far, so he's getting close to it. Um, people are still helping out, and basically, uh, his friend Ryan was is set this up, and he's fundraising for Bob, our good friend uh, at Nottingham Unfiltered Admin. Bob had been a ter- Bob had a terrible accident fall while finishing last-minute work for opening day at his new and much-anticipated bagel shop, bakery slash bakery in Exeter, New Hampshire, Rolly Holers, and, or so yeah, Rolly Holers, sorry. Bob is in good hands receiving surgery at Mass General now. Unfortunately, this accident will delay the opening of the shop and comes at a vulnerable time for he and his family, and we would appreciate it if you would make a donation to Bob to help with his medical expenses. So he's in rough shape, and we owe a lot to him, so check that out if you can. Awesome. Will do. Will do. Uh, the Wall Street Journal has an article. Ow. And it's about falling lumber prices. And I've heard about this, and it seems to be happening. Yeah. And for some reason, I couldn't pull up that article, but now I've got it up. So yeah. I just Googled uh, lumber prices are falling. Wall Street Journal. I don't know if it came up for you. The, the link didn't work for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, can you believe it? So lumber prices are falling back to earth. It's what they're saying. And yep. here's why. So futures for July delivery ended... Tuesday. This is this is uh, this is literally a couple days ago. Yep. Uh, at one thousand per one thousand dollars per thousand board feet, down forty one percent from the record Al, which is earlier in May, yep. up seventeen hundred dollars per thousand board feet. Futures have declined fourteen of the past sixteen trading days, and now it's under it's under a thousand. Let me look at the uh, at the futures for today. So we are, let's see, lumber futures. Um, oh, actually, it snapped up. Sorry, my bad. No, no, no. It's uh, $865. So that's not the worst. So I think help is coming on the way. But what, what I think everybody should be worried about is the last time lumber futures fell was in 2007. This dramatically? Mm, what ha- are you trying to predict? What happened after that, Al? Uh, you got laid off because you were terrible. <laughs> I got promoted to laid off because like, you're too good to work here. You should be doing something else, sir. Um, so people got laid off because of the recession. Because of the recession. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't think it's that. I, I think it fell back then. It wasn't in a bubble. And, you know, it correlated with the crash. I. This is this is in a, I don't know, COVID slash the Fed and the government printing trillions of dollars bubble. Exactly. So we'll see uh, if that transitory word comes true. I still am very skeptical. I don't think this is transitory inflation because I think there's two levels that we're experiencing. One is from purely demand, where people were demanding so much lumber that 
it caused it to inflate. And then the other reason is, well, we printed a lot of money. We print a lot of money, then prices have to go up for commodities, regular stuff. You, so there's so the bottom of, let's say the demand goes away. Great, they took away that level of inflation. There's still this other fat chunk at the bottom, that is from Fed printing. Okay, what would it have to be? Because I, I would love it to be transitory and just like, oh, it was just a debacle. Based it's just on, an anomaly. Yeah, just a blip. Uh, I think lumber prices would have to come back to like, because what they're t- they went up to 273 percent was the high. Yes, something like that. Yeah, and the record was yeah about 1700. So per thousand bird. It has to break below 200 percent. Like it has to be like even a hundred percent. Like it has to break below a hundred percent. Trace, yeah. Honestly, and then housing prices too. Like, well, that's why I brought up two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah. But again, I'll state this: is if if they go down ten, fifteen percent, like that's probably where they should be, and you shouldn't let people, you know, alarmists get you all crazy about get that. you all crazy. Yep. Yeah. Either way, prepare yourself. Do what you can. It's your life. Get your life. Yep. All of the above. What do we got next, Mr. Gore? I think we have uh, our best friend, Nick with Nick Reads. All right. Hello, best friends. I hope you all had a great week this week. A reading. Remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking that you have something to lose. You're already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. Steve Jobs. Toodles. A little toodle. All right. Just Short a, but just, powerful. Just, just a little baby toodle. Short but powerful. I like the sentiment. I, I immediately want to push back. But ah, <laughs> come on. You even asked for Steve Jobs. I did this, ask this, for G- this Steve week. Jobs. But it's like, yeah. Like you're, okay. That's, that's very <laughs> stoic. I don't know. It's it, it, when, when you have kids and stuff like that, you're like, oh, if I didn't have kids, the shit I would be doing is way different, I think. Would you be doing some, would you actually be doing competition jujitsu? Probably. 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 What yeah. else? Anything else? I don't know. I'll tell I, you what, I risked my life last weekend. Uh, so I hiked. Yay. I did. I, I, I hiked um, almost I, I, 2,500 2, feet, and it was six miles one way and six miles back and all by myself yeah. uh i i did have um some personal protection yeah you know in case there for was the bears for the bears for the literally moose more than anything Ooh. um but if i would have fallen and broken my leg probably wouldn't have been in good shape because nobody was around yeah i mean i hiked up to a lake that was eleven thousand uh four hundred and eighty feet in the air when i got there there was two other fisher people but they were only there for a half hour and it was just me all by myself, little ants for two hours. Very treacherous. Yep. Snow. Can't see the trail. So I'm still doing it. Do, do you want to know? I guess the, me and Steve Jobs are best buddies. Uh, you guys are. Uh, okay. Survival. <laughs> the best way to get out of a broken leg in an isolated area. Situate. You know what cut you it off. To, thank you. You need to cut, cut it, it off. off and instantly cauterize what you just cut off. Yep. And then. And, and then. hopefully you don't pass out <laughs> well, from the pain. Yep. As we talked about earlier, with grab Bob. a stick, hobble back. That's what you need to do. You could even take the the bone that you cut off and like make that the handle of the stick. Why not? <laughs> and then make your way home. But just know that yep. that ever happens. There you go. It's the first step. 
Uh, should we bring down everyone for ARE Jeopardy? Let's do a little ARE Jeopardy. Question number one. Big letters, bold letters, please, people. Why are parking garages susceptible to premature deterioration? A, they are often poorly maintained. B, road salts are not washed off by rain. C, they are subjected to severe weather. D, all of the above. This should be a easy Trick question. We got D. What do you got there? D, 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 D. D, your correct answer is D. Number two, what is the purpose of a cathodic protection system? Is it A, to provide fire resistance? Is it B, to protect other systems near the cathodic systems? Is it C, to resist corrosion? Or is it D, to enhance electrical performance? What is the purpose of a cathodic protection system? What do we got? We all got to need to know about these cathodes. C, B, C, A, C. B, what did you say? B. B. The correct answer is C, to resist corrosion. Jason's killing it. Um, my fourth question is wrong, so we're, we'll see how that works. Wow. We might just have to do the tiebreaker. Mark uh, got us a tiebreaker? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. Number th- uh, question number three. A client has requested to use their own design service agreement. Which one of the following should the architect ensure is included in the contract? Is it A, architect's warranty of building performance? B, architect's relief of responsibility for construction means and methods? C, architect's guarantee of construction cost price range? D, a stipulated monetary penalty uh, for the architect's late performance? (laughs) <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, yes, it is. If, if everybody didn't hear that because you're far away with Mike's, that was a great airy question from Ross is what he said. We going to read off his... Uh, we ready? You need it again? We good? What's and then I fixed, I quit, fixed question four. Congratulations. Okay, ready, everyone? Okay, B, 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 A, B, B. So B was correct. Um, you would want to have a relief of responsibility of construction means and methods. You're not in control of the means and methods, yep. right? What? Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, Read those AIA A, I think someone said. Yeah. A warranty of building performance. Um, that's hard to do. You don't want to make sure that that's in there. Um, and also there's many different factors like HVAC and things like that. Okay. Question four. What would be a part of a quality control policy? Is it A, a completion of a deliverable checklist for each phase? B, all construction details come from the firm's library of standard details? C, completion of a lead checklist? Or D, the use of design, bid, build, delivery method? Wow. Okay, what would be a part of the of a quality control policy. Okay. Is it A, a uh, completion of a deliverable checklist for each phase? B, all construction details come from the firm's library or standard details? C, completion of a lead checklist? D, use of design bid build delivery method? 
quality control policy. What do we got? Okay. B. A, B, A, 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 A. A is correct, right? A checklist for uh, deliverables of each phase would be great. Um, all construction details come from the firm Stanley standard uh, details. That's not always going to happen. You need to make new details based on the project. You might go to arcat.com. You could. Uh, completion of a lead checklist is not quality control, and you don't always have to use design bid build. You can do great buildings other ways. There you have it. Who won? Nice. Four. Where are we going, Jason? Four? I don't know yet. Oh, Donut I chop. Yep. Take us out. Uh, if you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review on the iTunes. Share your favorite episode with a friend. Hit that like and subscribe button on the YouTube, and we will see you next week. Thank you.